0: All right, welcome into the Arrowhead Addict Podcast, Thursday edition. Patrick Allen here with you, as always, to talk some Kansas City Chiefs football. We have an absolutely tremendous show for you today. Our last show in the Chicago studio here before uh, we head to Las Vegas for a week of coverage on Radio Row because the Kansas City Chiefs Back in the Super Bowl. Very, very exciting show. Like I said today, we're going to have Jason Reed from ESPN and Anscape, also the author of Rise of the Black Quarterback. He's been on the show before. We're going to talk about Mahomes, talk about his legacy, the Chiefs. Is this a dynasty? Got a lot of great questions for him. Uh, So stay tuned for that coming right up after the read. And uh, later, we'll have Price Carter from ArrowheadAddict.com is going to join us, talk a little bit about the Super Bowl. We'll start looking ahead. And of course, he's our draft guru over there at com, So I get some questions for him about who the Chiefs might be picking 31st or 32nd, which is good news for us. Um, before we get to Jason, just a heads up that DraftKings is offering a fantastic sign-up bonus ahead of the Super Bowl. If you place a $5 first bet on any uh, in, on anything, you can instantly claim a $200 in bonus bets. You will also be rewarded a separate no-sweat single-game parlay every single day when you opt in. best part is you, you receive both rewards even if your first bet loses. If you're thinking about joining DraftKings, make sure you sign up with our code ARROWHEAD. Using our code ARROWHEAD not only gets you these great bonuses, but it directly supports our podcast. If you've been considering signing up for DraftKings, make sure you use that code ARROWHEAD to maximize your first bets and parlays. This offer is only available to new customers who are 21 and older and physically present in a legal gambling state. Make sure to always gamble responsibly. Check out the episode description for the full terms. To see if you qualify now I'm pleased to welcome senior NFL writer at ESPN and Anscape and author as I mentioned of rise of the black quarterback a terrific read if you like the NFL if you like history if you haven't read this yet it's been out for a little bit now make sure you grab it it's a great read Jason Reed joining us Jason how you been my friend I'm doing well Patrick how are you? Um, oh man i'm fantastic my wife and i are having a baby our that's first right congratulations child. man thank you yeah yeah we're, we're excited and actually i just felt him kick for the first time two nights ago absolutely mind-blowing experience
1: i got i got two of my own man greatest blessing in this life
0: yeah we're uh, we're very excited we're a little late to the game we're in our 40s but that's okay um, that's all right. yeah what better way to, to to spend the second half so um i really appreciate you uh joining me i know you got some things to get to Tonight, and then, of course, uh, you're going to be heading out to Vegas as well. When do you take off? I leave Sunday morning. Sunday morning. Okay, yeah, we're going to be out there on on Saturday and for the long haul. Um, so, all right, I, you know, let's get into it. Um, I Actually, was, I was thinking about when I was preparing for the show today, you and I were talking in November uh, about the Chiefs' offensive struggles. It was right after the Eagles game. And, and you told me that although you thought that it would be hard for the offense to score, you you thought the Chiefs could still win the Super Bowl – Um, And somehow it got even worse on the offensive side of the ball for the Chiefs after that conversation. Did you ever lose faith, like late in the season, that this team could turn things around?
1: No, I mean, I always thought that with what I was seeing defensively, I I mean, the McDuffie pick was just a fabulous pick. And I don't know how Legereus Sneed did not make first-team All-Pro. Chris Jones, once he got signed and came back, was a dominant force as well. Uh, Karloftis is showing that that he's going to be a very productive edge rusher for a long time. So I, I go to that long buildup to say, I always thought that with what they had defensively, that they just weren't a top three defense. I always thought they were a difference-making defense. And so I said to myself, well, if 15 can just be 15, and I always thought Kelsey would at some point have those Travis-Kelsey big moments, I was like, that could be enough. i now. I knew that Rishi Rice, they had to be right about him, and they, they turned out to be right about him. And I also thought to myself, well, at some point, Marquise Valdez-Scanling is going to have to make a couple plays because the, the Kadarius-Tony thing went so sideways, they had to have one other guy. So, wow. again, a very long-winded build-up to say, no, I, I always thought they could do this because of the defense, because of 15, and I thought really that Kelsey would have those signature moments in the playoffs
0: yeah absolutely um I'll, i'll be honest with you i started to lose faith i think you know that that christmas day game against the raiders was maybe one of the most i i you know it's been as a chiefs fan it's been such a blessing to watch patrick mahomes play for my favorite team and just i would get excited just, I'm going to get to watch this great, all time great player every time. It was one of the first times in the Mahomes era that I was like looking at my watch. We were going to my in laws for, for Christmas dinner. And I was like, when, when is this going to be over? It was, it was a tough watch. Uh, and I think that was them hitting rock bottom. Um, and then the following week, they played the Bengals. And that was the last time they played with their starters. And then week 17, everybody sat out because the seating was decided. And your view, like, what did the Chiefs do to turn things around? And how did they do it so quickly?
1: Well, obviously, you're talking about offensively because they didn't have to turn anything around defensively. I mean, that 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 defense is a top three, top two defense. Um, I think when you look at Andy Reid and the things that he does, you know, everybody says if you give Andy Reid time to scheme it, like you know, on a bye week, uh, time in the playoffs before the playoffs begin, he's always going to come up with something and. You know, everybody was talking so much about the problems with the tackles, how penalized they were, um, you know, the issues there. Those guys have been pretty flawless in the playoffs. Um, You know, Marcus Valdez-Scanley has picked it up. I think part of it is when you have a guy like Mahomes who demands so much of himself, but he doesn't quit on the guys around him you know that i'm sure all your uh you know viewers know that and listeners know that you know, he he kept telling mvs i'm going to keep throwing you the ball like he i'm not going to stop doing that um and i'm going to say something now i don't mean to say this to be mean but i truly believe this i think one thing that did help is they determined they could not have Kadarius tony on the field now Kadarius tony is, is such an he's such an enigma because the guy has incredible ability and you know they were going to feature him this year i mean he was going to be a guy who you know as you know like they were going to dial stuff up uh, dial stuff up for constantly but from that detroit game in the opener um and you know i covered that game i was like i couldn't believe it like and and it continued and so when they got when they got to that patriots game and you know patrick was kind of you could tell he's now he's he's just had it i thought to myself he's probably going to have to come up with some type of injury for the injury report because he couldn't have him on the field. And I think, I think just kind of shelving that thing for now. And I don't mean that thing, meaning him as a person. I mean the experiment with him as a player, yeah. I think kind of just shelving that for now. And I think guys looked in the mirror too. You know, I, I think MVS looked in the mirror. I think the tackles looked in the mirror. Um, and the end result has been, they played their best offensive game of the year in Orchard Park in the divisional round. I mean, they were incredible. And, you know, Bill's fans like to talk about, well, our kicker missed a field goal. Even if he made it, Mahomes has the ball with two minutes left. Right. Okay. So I, I think it's a combination of things, Patrick. It's it's guys looking in the mirror. It's 15 still believing in, 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 in people who he thinks can help him win, who he thinks can help this team win. And I the, the Tony thing I give Andy Reed credit for not giving up on the kid, but at a certain point, like, I think even, you know, I, th- I think it was when Patrick was just, was so frustrated in that New England game. I think Andy Reed was like, yeah, we, we, we gotta, we gotta go away from this for a
0: while. You know, and it gets tough when somebody is just a net negative. And that's something that we talked about in the podcast over and over again. It was even with Sky Moore, who I, I don't think it's necessarily time to give up on completely, but things they'd throw him the ball and just, bad things would happen. Good things were not happening. Um, And obviously when you have a guy like Patrick, I I remember back, I used to, I used to oversee fansided.com, our our flagship site. And I remember when the Warriors dynasty started. And one of the things I I suggested we work on as an editorial piece was early on, there was like, Hey, let's maybe do a piece about when will fans turn on the Warriors. And I remember our, our NBA editor at the time, Ian Levy is fantastic. He said, I just don't think they ever will. These, these guys are such a joy to watch. They're, they're a joy to play basketball. Steph Curry is so likable. And I said, trust me, I know sports fans. They're going to get fatigued and they're going to turn on them. We did this article. It was, it was really interesting. Of course, that happened. And I think in the series against the, the Cavs when Curry threw his mouthpiece and his wife tweeted. And, and so for a guy like Patrick Mahomes, who's so incredibly professional, so likable, so affable, never throws his teammates under the bus, what was your take when he sort of finally broke a little bit? And, you know, we're all entitled to make mistakes. And obviously the, the, the game against the Bills that they lost with the offsides call and, and how furious he was at the at the officials. What was your take on that situation? Because I think for me it was the first time in his entire career where I was like, boy, Patrick really shouldn't have probably done that.
1: You know, i tell you, Patrick, I have a different take on it. Um, and I, and I, that's a very valid opinion. Don't get me wrong, but – everybody was saying, well, how could he do this? This guy had been dropping dimes all season long. He's got receivers literally being hit in the hands and just dropping the balls. Yeah. Um, and I and I think that it's one thing if that happens one week, but this had been since week one. And he still knows that, look, we're still in a position where we get the number one overall seeding. Okay, I mean, he, he knows that they're they're still right there for it. And for Tony to not look over and check his placement, um, you know, at the line, like he lost it. And I, I mean, and I think the the frustration, this, I I'd much rather have him lose it than him being just okay with it. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it was just, I just think it was a frustration that built up and, you know, and here's the thing about it too. The chiefs are the new Patriots. Okay. Everybody you go on social media, every other 31 of the fan bases they nitpick everything, they criticize. And you know, I, the funniest thing was I saw like all these fans were saying um, you know, Bengals fans, Bills fans, well, you know, that's why we wouldn't want him as our quarterback. Really? <laughs> I, I mean, I I mean, no no offense to Josh Allen or Joe Burrow, but this guy is in a league of his own. Yeah. Um, and he lost it and I get it. And you know, you don't want and he apologized. You know, it's a bad look for the kids, but that's the competitor in him.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, and we talked about it, that people have human moments and especially a competitor like Mahomes or Steph Curry or Michael Jordan. They care so much. And I think that was also an instance where he probably wanted to tear into Kadarius Toney and and he couldn't. And so, you know, it just ended up being directed at at the refs. Um, But I agree with you. You'd much rather have your guy out there who's living and dying out on the field than, you know, maybe some of the Jay Cutler things we've seen in the past. Okay, is the regular, uh, regular season ended, nobody really thought that the Chiefs would be going to the Super Bowl. Um, you know, they, let alone they didn't think that they'd be going through Miami and then on the road to Buffalo and Baltimore. Is this, in your opinion, Patrick Mahomes' most impressive playoff run to date?
1: Oh, no doubt. I mean, the, the narrative, as you know, going into the to playoffs was like, this is the worst Chiefs team. Yeah, they won the division for the eighth straight year but they have no wideouts. You know, Patrick Mahomes had his worst year statistically, which I kind of laugh at because if you factor in all those dropped balls, he'd have had a pretty good year. Um, and so, yeah, I, I mean, you talk about the best moments of someone's career. No one thought this Chiefs team would be in this position. And the fact that everyone was saying, well, they were gonna lose in Buffalo, you know, because Patrick had never been played a playoff game on the road. Um, they played their best game offensively. Then they go down to, to Baltimore, the the number one team in, in the conference, best record in the NFL, this historic defense. Lamar Jackson's about to win his second MVP. The Ravens just knew they were going to steamroll them. And then all of a sudden, the Chiefs go out in a surgical drive, go down and score seven. There's a busted coverage and a missed sack. The, Ra- the Ravens score a touchdown. Chiefs come right back. And, Patrick, you, you don't win a game – in the first half I mean, usually i understand that but you can set a tone that can affect the rest of the game mm-hmm. and that second touchdown shook the ravens to their core because all of a sudden they were like wait a minute we thought we were you know going to punch these guys in the mouth they don't have any receivers we got lamar and um then you saw experience so yeah i think it's i think it's his best it's his best playoff performance and let me i know i'm very long winded so let me let me just add this um, I picked them to win in each playoff game. And I got to make a pick for the Super Bowl. And, you know, while obviously anything can happen, the 49ers are a great team and, you know, they have, you know, weapons everywhere. But I think if the Chiefs do win, they're going to win in a way where people will say, okay, this is one of the truly great teams of an era.
0: Yeah. I'm with you there. Um, So speaking of sort of legacies, um, before the AFC Championship game, you wrote an article uh, on Anscape breaking down what you called a battle between the NFL's two best quarterbacks. After Lamar kind of had this uneven performance in that game, do you still think he's number two behind Patrick? And how much do you think losing this game hurts his legacy, at least in the short term?
1: Yeah. Okay, so here's the thing. Joe Burrow is a more successful quarterback in the postseason than Lamar. Uh, Josh Allen is a more successful quarterback in the postseason than Lamar. And, and, and the Lamar thing is such a difficult discussion for me because I love what Lamar has done for the NFL in the city of Baltimore. And, and he, he is the best dual threat quarterback with all due respect to Michael Vick and Cam Newton. He's the best dual threat quarterback in the history of the NFL. And he is going to win his second MVP award. But, and because he's going to win his second MVP award, I, you know, I look at the NFL right now as I looked at the NBA when Michael Jordan was at the top of his game. Patrick might not win the MVP every year, but he's the best player in the league. Okay? Yeah. But this year, Lamar is going to win the trophy. And after that game, I got to be honest with you, I said to myself for the first time, there's a legitimate question that the Ravens need to ask because you can talk all you want to talk about well, peyton manning had a rough start in the playoffs and you know it doesn't happen quickly for everybody but no one questioned whether in january in late january could peyton manning pass the ball effectively he may he may have made mistakes he may not have this game but the question now is you know with all lamar's unique gifts and he has improved in the pocket a lot in the regular season But we're not talking regular season the playoffs are a different beast and i think it's a real question now and i i do think i don't know about legacy because he's still a young he's still a young player and he is going to win i mean the list of players who've won two mvps in their first six seasons i mean patrick is on it i think jim brown is on it and you're talking about you know legends so i think he's going to be as we go into next year this is going to be hanging over this ravens organization because he you know, that interception he threw in the end zone, like, you know, like Patrick was 30 for 39 in the game, no turnovers. Lamar was sacked four times, strip sack fumble by a menu. He throws the interception. Like in the playoffs, every possession is heightened. Every possession is magnified. He's not a, he's not a winning playoff quarterback right now. There's just no way around it.
0: Yeah, it's tough. I was thinking the same thing that you've been about about Jordan and and guys like Charles Barkley and Reggie Miller and, and you know, that is what it's starting to feel like if you're in the AFC, you've got a little bit of a problem. And his name's Patrick Mahomes. I love Lamar. He's one of my favorite players in the league to watch. Uh, you know, if there's going to be a season where the Chiefs can't get it done, I'd love to see I'd love to see Lamar play in a Super Bowl. I think it would be awesome. And we'll see, but it's uh it's definitely a question hanging over those guys. Um all right. So speaking of mahomes's legacy where do you think he ranks among quarterbacks all time right now and and does that ranking change if he
1: wins a super bowl next week yeah you know this is one of those one of these fun questions um and i always qualify this by saying brady obviously is the most successful quarterback of all time because he has seven super bowl championships no one has that many uh no one else has that many obviously is brady the most talented ever I mean, you talk to old-time scouts, they'll tell you that John Elway was the greatest prospect in the history of the NFL draft. So, and I don't think John Elway, I don't think Tom Brady is more talented than John Elway was, but he was more successful. So to Patrick, um, you know, I'm sure everybody listening to this and watching this knows that Brett Veach was willing to put his career on the line for the Chiefs to trade up in that draft and get this guy because he thought he was the greatest prospect he ever saw He's the greatest young quarterback in the history of the NFL. That used to, When Brady, through his first six years, had set a standard for young quarterbacks, Patrick has eclipsed it. Because Patrick, even though he has one fewer championship than Brady at this moment, he had a, a, a list of individual awards to combine with it that Brady didn't have at that point. If he wins this game, he will join a very short list of quarterbacks to go back to back. You know, Brady did it, Montana did it, uh Aikman did it um who am I missing uh Bradshaw did Bradshaw go back to back? Bradshaw did it twice Bradshaw did it twice so just right there you're talking about he he moves up with the last Super Bowl victory and having two Super Bowl victories and two AP MVP awards and two Super Bowl MVP awards like I already had him in the conversation with the Montanas and the Brady's um you know the Elways if he gets to three before he's thirty, with the other list of accomplishments, I think you can make a real argument that it's Brady, Montana, and him. I mean, I'm sure some people will dispute that and say Peyton. Um, that's a conversation worth having because all of Peyton's MVP awards, and he did it. He did win two Super Bowls. Um, but for me, if he—and again, this is a big if—we don't know if he's going to do it. But if he goes back-to-back, back, especially in this era of free agency where it's so hard to keep these teams together, I think you would, for me, it would be Brady, Montana, and Mahomes.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. And I think if you want to put Manning ahead of him because of the longevity thing, fine. But I think if he gets the third one, I, I, for me, he jumps him. Uh, because if he just plays out the string of his career, and doesn't win another Super Bowl, I think he ends up passing him. Um, okay, a couple more for you, and then we'll let you get out of here. Um, so do you consider this Chiefs team a dynasty right now, or do they need to win that third Super Bowl?
1: I, I think they need to win the third one. You know, I, I would have a different feeling about it if the offensive line hadn't been decimated in that Super Bowl, Super Bowl against the Buccaneers, because if I think if their offensive line is intact, I mean, the offensive line they started the season with, And I think they win that game and then they would have already gone back to back and they would already have had had three. So my my feeling would be different about it. I think they need to win this one. Um, And if they win this one, I think then, yes, we can legitimately talk about a dynasty, because I just don't think fans understand, you know, when. When the the Forty Niners were winning those Super Bowls and and the Steelers were winning those Super Bowls, you didn't have to contend with free agency the way this thing is now, and the salary cap, and guys leaving left and right. I mean, look, not to jump the the card here or anything, but you know they're going the Chiefs going to have some big decisions to make after the Super Bowl. You know, Snead is a free agent, Gay is a free agent, and and then the biggest one of all, um, you know, the the big guy the big guy in the middle. Yeah, so. Yeah. Yeah, I think if they win this one, I think they're legitimately a dynasty. If they win it,
0: I'm with you. I think obviously they're an AFC dynasty. What they've done is incredible. But for me, it's it's about three. You get the you get to that three in a in a truncated point in time, and and I think you've got it. Um, all right, last question for you. And I don't want your 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 full on prediction because I'm hoping to get that next week on, on Radio Row if you're coming through. Uh, but what's your early read on this Super Bowl? Um, do you think the Chiefs should be underdogs in this one?
1: I think the Chiefs like being underdogs. I think it's a position Patrick really loves to play for. Because, you know, Patrick is a very petty person. And I mean that in a good way. He's petty like Jordan was petty, where every little uh, slight uh, actually actual or just imagined, he uses it for motivation. So, yeah, I'll, uh, let, let's do this on Radio Road next week with my prediction. But let me just say what I th- I'm thinking right now. I'm hearing all the chatter that I heard last year about how this defensive line is going to overwhelm the Chiefs' offensive line. Now that that Eagles' defense defensive line was incredible, I think they had like 76 sacks. Um, they didn't get one sack in the Super Bowl, so that's that. I, I'm hearing about all of the the 49ers' weapons, and you know Christian McCaffrey is great, and and I get that, and Brandon Ayuk, and Debo Samuel, and you know obviously they have a fabulous tight end, and you know Brock Purdy. He's shown he's a very good football player. He's a very good quarterback. And Kyle Shanahan is one of the great offensive minds in the game. So I'm hearing so many things in a very similar fashion to what I heard last year about how Nick Sirianni was going to, you know, scheme it up to confuse, you know, spags and all that type of stuff. Um, I, I, you know, I find it not funny because people have to analyze this, you know, they, it's going to be a week of talk about this stuff. But, um, you know, th- th- I think the Chiefs will try- trying to find a way to muddle through.
0: Yeah, yeah I think so too. Um, the coaching advantage, I think, gets missed with them so often. With Reed and Spagnuolo, like they're so tremendous, and they're all they always have a, a great game plan. They almost never get blown out in any game, and if it's close, and you've got fifteen. I'm I'm liking your chances. Um Jason really appreciate you joining us again. Make sure you check out Jason's book Rise of the Black Quarterback. You got a you, you working on anything by the way? You got to you got to follow up anything uh, on the
1: <laughs> um potentially. I I'll, I'll, I'll tell you about it if it comes together.
0: Okay. That would be great. That would be great. Jason, uh safe travels my friend and I will see you next week. See you next week. Okay. Thank you. That is Jason Reed from again, you can see him as a senior writer espn.com andscape Rise of the Black Quarterback. Can't can't say enough about this book. Um it's it's if, if you like NFL history, uh if you like context, if you like, you know, a, a different way to appreciate the this tremendous amount of incredibly talented black quarterbacks that we have right now in the NFL that we get to enjoy and, and more on the way, understanding that that it wasn't always like that in the in the history that um some of the guys that blazed the trail for guys like Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, CJ Stroud, uh check it out. It's a good read. Okay, that was awesome. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, this is the Arrowhead Attic podcast. Do me a favor, hit that like button. Let's get some more cheese fans in here to talk football. Now, as I mentioned, we are going to be on Radio Row next week. Um, we'll we'll get the whole schedule out to you guys soon, but you can look for us on uh, our regular show days: Tuesday, Wednesday. Thursday, we're going to be doing content there. Sterling Holmes and myself will be on Radio Row, but there's going to be a ton of content on FanSided in general. So we're not going to have our, uh, we may not have our normal show times here at Arrowhead Attic. We may be uh, more in the afternoon, early morning, because we get up there, we set up shop on Radio Row at like eight o'clock, and then we're there. People are coming through all day long okay so we do unified coverage with special olympics down there it's really awesome we're going to be with our special olympics correspondent malcolm harris gowdy uh we worked with him last year Verderam and i it was great um he's going to be back this year with us so he's going to be with sterling and if you if you if you are around here you should know that sterling also hosts our our stacking the box channel so uh, they'll be doing stacking the box live from radio row malcolm Sterling. They're going to have a lot of really great guests coming through, so you're going to want to check out. If you're not subscribed to Stacking the Box, make sure you're subscribed to Stacking the Box on YouTube. Then we'll do the Arrowhead Attic show. We've got a lot of people coming through. Uh, Nick Lowry is going to be coming by. We're going to be interviewing Dan Marino. Um, We're going to be interviewing Jerry Rice's sons. we got a lot of really good guests lined up for you already. It's just going to be an extravaganza of, of coverage all week long. And Then on Sunday, Malcolm and myself will be at the game. Um, so we'll work out our, our post game. I probably won't be on post game cause I'll be at the stadium, but I might get in late, uh, like I have in the past. So just make sure you're locked in here at dot com, Arrowhead YouTube channel. So we can get you all the coverage from Las Vegas. Like I said, I'm getting, I'm leaving on Saturday morning and I'm going to be there until Monday after the super bowl. And hopefully I'll be waking up on Monday a little bit, uh, feeling a little bit hungover or something. Um, All right. Now uh, we're going to get on to our next guest. Uh, He is our draft guru over at arrowheadaddict.com. You can check out this big board over there. Price Carter. Welcome, my friend. It's been a long time coming. I've been meaning to get you on the show all season, and I'm just, uh, I'm bad at planning. So thank you for joining us.
3: Well, it's the perks of getting to play football into February, right? You know, like a lot of teams have been talking draft, honestly, since September, and we get the advantage that we have football going all the way into february so i'm more than happy to wait it's a privilege
0: yeah yeah man uh, you've got you got a little you got a little setup going on over there you set up your own studio what's going on
3: well i work from home so this is my usual backdrop for meeting with people and stuff as well too so you know when you work from home you got to kind of make your office feel like an office so uh thankfully it's uh it's great to be working from home i love it and uh fortunately i haven't been able to come down here re- Very much. I broke my ankle about a month ago and we uh, just had our newborn a week ago. So it's been a it's been a crazy couple of weeks here at my house, but it's good to be down here and it's good to be podcasting again.
0: Hey, congrats on the uh, the newborn. Uh, What'd you have?
3: Baby girl this time. She's healthy. She's beautiful. She's tiny. She's like barely. She's not even six pounds yet. So she is itty bitty, but it's it's been great and really fortunate that she gets to get here and see an AFC championship.
0: Yeah, my man, I'm, I'm with you. What's, what What number is this for y'all?
3: This is number two. Um, my kids are like insanely lucky. My wife, I, I filled up her shot cup with water, one of the Chiefs won in 2019, the Super Bowl, because we had just found out we were pregnant with our with my son. And so my son has just been like, you know, AFC champion or Super Bowl champion almost every year of his life. And now my daughter gets to uh, join in on it. So
0: pretty lucky. Yeah, man, that's absolutely amazing. Uh, you might have heard when I was talking with Jason, w- w- my wife's twenty-two weeks with our first, probably our only, um, and uh, got to feel him kick for the first time two nights ago. I was telling Jason, I, I, I've I've seen a lot of really cool things in my life. That one was I'm not going to forget that moment. She's been feeling him for a couple weeks now, and uh, he was not he wasn't playing ball with me and uh (laughs) they they get
3: they get shy like that like stage fright like they say oh fill my belly and then you feel it and then they stop yeah Yeah. it's they're very much like that but congrats to you man piece of advice you're never ready um you know like that's that's the thing i would say is like you're never ready for the first one you're never ready for the second one but when they're here you're you're growing you're learning with them they say you know your parents are growing up in front of your eyes as you're a kid it's very much true so don't waste a bunch of time stressing and when the baby's coming, just when they're here, be ready, be happy, and just enjoy it. That's, that's really, there all is to it. Not that I have it all figured out by any means. Oh,
0: I, I appreciate the advice and I may be reaching out for more. I'm sure. Um, I'm pretty good at winging it. And uh, like, Matt Verderham and I were talking on the show a couple of weeks ago and we were, we were sort of agreeing that we know all kinds of dopes who manage to raise kids and not, not get them killed. So uh, feeling pretty good, feeling, feeling pretty good about it. We'll, we'll roll with the punches. Um, well, let's get into some cheese talk, man. So, um, I wanted to ask you, I sort of asked a similar question to Jason. (laughs) Did you think the Chiefs would be able to turn it on for the playoffs? Or did you think, like many other fans around the NFL, that this was going to be a lost season for the Chiefs?
3: You know, I think everyone's opinions about the Chiefs might have been right at some point during the season. Um, Whether you were a person who was a firm believer, who waved your red and gold pom-poms and said, this team will turn it around. They've got Pat, they've got Andy, they've got Travis Kelsey. They will find a way to turn this around, and all they need to do is get to the playoffs. However, you are also right if you looked at this team after 16, 17 games and said, this team is not a Super Bowl caliber team based upon what they've put on the field. And honestly, I'm not sure how they were able to flip a switch, but they but they did. Um, I was kind of of the opinion around the Bills game is where I started thinking, like, the Chiefs season might end. And it has been just an incredible ride that they've been able to keep doing this year after year. But at some point, it will end, you know. Um, I hope not anytime soon. But it, it was reasonable to think that maybe this is the year that they have to go on the road and lose to a good Bills team in the Divisional. Or, you know, a really historically great Ravens team as far as some of the advanced metrics say in the conference championship game. So I don't know how, I guess it's that, you know, as Tyron Matthew used to say that championship swagger, that mentality, but they really have just been able to flip another gear, which quite frankly is a sign of greatness. A lot of teams that have that ability to just switch into another mode. They're like an NBA team, honestly, yeah. where the, the, they just have another gear and Patrick Mahomes is <laughs> probably one of the best at that like his numbers he's basically has a full season of numbers in the playoffs now and he's an MVP caliber quarterback by his numbers in the playoffs alone and that's against really good defenses and really good teams so yeah I, I certainly thought like divisional conference championship I, I told myself if they beat the Bills I was going to be satisfied with this season given what had happened throughout the year um, I had higher hopes than that when the season began but after seeing the full season that's about where I was so everything's just gravy from here on out
0: agreed you know i was really i was more nervous for the bills game than i was for the ravens game because i kind of expected that they could beat miami i mean they'd done it in the regular season and miami was really banged up but the bills game was the game that i you know where my faith from the regular season performance was wavering when they won that game i was i was i i had a healthy respect for the ravens and i thought the ravens certainly could beat us but i also felt like you know what man like they're okay. Like they're, they can win. Like they can beat the Ravens. Like, I don't think that, I don't think there's any team they can't beat. If they don't turn the ball over and if they don't get horrible penalties, they can beat anybody. And when you look back on the regular season, like they were in almost all those games. I mean, the, the only game I felt like they really got worked pretty bad was it was against Packers and they still even had a chance to win that one. It was just sort of, they were figuring some stuff out and um the, the other thing, too, is it's not static. Like, Richie Rice now was not Richie Rice then. And so this team is growing. They're figuring things out. As Jason pointed out, they got Kadarius Tony out of there. They got Sky Moore out of there. They stopped rotating guys in. Like, this is what we're going with. And it started to work for them. And I do think that there's an element of, like, when you play as many games as these guys play, year after year after year after year, you're going to the Super Bowl. Like, don't tell me that... <laughs> that you're just laser locked and focused every single regular season game. They know that they're playing for for February. And yes, it it matters, right? You don't want to go on the road. You don't want to have to play an extra game in the playoffs. But at the end of the day, um, they're right back where they were supposed to be. And I kept saying throughout the season, and people thought I was a little bit nutty, that I felt like the Chiefs still had the best team that Patrick Mahomes ever had. Because of the defense. And because I was looking at what they did last year and I'm like, they're not that far off from that offense. It's mostly the same guys. um, And it looks like it's bearing out. It's gonna be fascinating to see. Um, But like, you're a big draft guy. How did you feel about Sky Moore and Rashi Rice coming out respectively? And are you surprised at how their careers have turned out so far?
3: Yeah, I think when it comes to Sky Moore and Rasheed Rice, I think you get the perfect spectrum of what a second-round wide receiver was. Um, It's very interesting to kind of see how the pendulum has swung on both of them. Uh, Rasheed Rice, when he was thought about around this time last year is when his draft stock kind of started to fall. Um, In January and December of last year, he was probably going to be a first-round pick. A lot of uh, the bills were a frequent mock for him. A lot of people saw him as a highly productive player, which he was at SMU um, and, a, and a player that had upside, you know, um, and he kind of had a rough end of the year. He was fighting that turf toe injury. He came out to the senior bowl for one day, had a rough practice left after that. And the, the fall kind of started there with him. Um, and it, it was surprising a little bit to see kind of how the draft media reacted to the Chiefs selecting him. Um, there was a lot of talk of, you know, th- this doesn't make sense. This isn't a fit. This feels like a reach. And I, I will c- uh, be honest, too. It wasn't my necessarily pick at that certain slot. I rather Cedric Tillman out of Tennessee, who has done fine, but certainly not as good as Rasheed Rice. But to the credit of the Chiefs, they took what the prospect of Rasheed Rice was, and they really molded it into something much different. They saw his run after the catchability. And his athleticism and bet on that rather than the type of player he was at smu which was more of a contested catch go up and get it type of player and credit to them for seeing that ability and you know again some of the like fall of rashi rice throughout the draft process was a lot of people were thinking this was a guy who was about six three two hundred you know ten pounds 205 pounds and instead he's six foot um but that ability for him to turn catch the ball and get up to full speed right away I mean he gets downhill really fast and obviously very dynamic with the ball in his hands yeah, then you had yeah. Sky Moore and Sky Moore kind of like he was like the hipster coffee shop like people started <laughs> to really like him throughout the draft process he went to a small school and his tape looks great because he is an elite player at that level he was dominating players at a lower level of competition and obviously with Sky Moore one of the big things was you were hoping that he could play inside and outside. He wasn't going, he wasn't billed as a slot only player. Quick releases off the ball, great large hands. That was one of his big things is that like he had a great catch percentage, which is kind of ironic given how this year has played out for him. Yeah. And you, you were be- you were betting on the traits and that release. However, when, so when the Chiefs drafted Sky mm-hmm. Moore, a lot of people really praised mm-hmm. that. that, especially because they traded down there, which most of kind of like draft media really loves. They got a lot of credit for that pick. And then, so it was kind of funny. It was like the Gordon Ramsay, you know, come here, beautiful child versus like you donkey. When they they draft Sky Moore, it's like, oh, you beautiful child. But when they draft uh, Rishi Rice, it's you donkey. And it's actually worked out quite the opposite, right? Yeah. Sky Moore, I come back to this. There is no trait that he has that I feel like right now is a dominant wide receiver trait. There's not one thing that he does, size, speed, route running, releases, separation, run after the catch, any of those things that he does that I feel are a, true dominant trait that he can go back to. Rasheed Rice, you see it. You see the run after the catch, the physicality, and then those other things, the route running, you know, the catch point, those type of things, they will come along in time. So the good news is, is like, you know, Sky Moore, I, I, I'm not just going to completely wave the white flag and say that he's done here and doesn't have a future here, but I think that they need to go back to the drawing board on what his role is. And hopefully Rasheed Rice's emergence will kind of allow that to happen next year.
0: Yeah, he's definitely going to have to fight for any playing time next year. You know, he's not—he's not, he's not going to be. You know, this year, obviously, was kind of de facto in. They were expecting him to take the leap, didn't happen. And they're going to make some changes to this wide receiver, and it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. And you're right about Rasheed Rice, man. He's got some juice. I mean, he just jumps off the screen at you, and when he gets that ball, he's like a Madden player. With I feel like I feel like he's—he's he's fast, but like I don't feel like he's. He's not like Tyree Killfast, but he when he gets the ball, he's like one of those Madden players that has like 99 acceleration and like maybe like 90 speed, you know. Like, and yeah. sometimes I like playing with those guys more because you get you away from defenders, and then it's and, like,
3: and you talked about a little bit about you know the Chiefs exceeding expectations here at the end of the year. A lot of that credit has to go to Andy Reid and the offensive staff. There's a lot of old coaches, you know. Bill Belichick's probably not going to have a job this year. In fact, he's almost certainly not going to. And he is stubborn. He does things his way. The Chiefs, um, Sam Ellinger for the Kansas City Star kind of broke this down really well. Right about the Raiders game, they started looking at the rotation of the players. And they also looked at how soon they were getting the plays in. They were doing all these motions that they always like to do to identify coverages. But they were basically snapping the ball with, you know, one second left every time. And it was just not giving Pat enough time to read the defense. Andy, Matt Nagy, those guys, they've been willing to make changes on the offense. It's basically the Holy Trinity now, right? Rice, Pacheco, Kelsey, that's the offense. And then just throw in a little sprinkle of MVS or someone else. And they've given Mahomes more time to read the defense, get the play calls in there early, and it's working. For a senior coach who has lots of championships underneath his belt and, you know, is a lock Hall of Famer, that's huge. And I think that's what, you know, keeps Andy Reid as a coach who hasn't just become this old old curmudgeon that no one wants to keep around, right? He continues to evolve, and that, and that's special.
0: Yeah, you know, you could argue that they they did it for way too long. And we talked on this podcast the week after the the Detroit game, which I was at in person, and so you you get a better view of like those personnel groups coming in and out and in and out. And I was like, this just this seems like it's too much. And uh, but to Andy's credit, some of these coaches go down with the shit, man. Like they are not they are not changing. They're going to run the. They're playing Mahomes. They're going to blitz. They don't care. The torches them because that's that we blitz. And that's what we do. And there's a lot of hubris involved. So credit to Andy and Matt Nagy for it, for the changes. Um, Well, speaking of disappointing receivers, Kadarius Tony, has he played his last snap for the chiefs Uh, and, and considering his role in the Super Bowl last year, do you consider the trade for him a success or a failure?
3: Yeah, man, he's, he's not making it any easy, any easier to keep him on the roster. Um, I've kind of said for a long time I don't think that Sky Moore and Kadarius Tony are both back next year. I think one of them is gone. You look at them as far as assets and what they are. Sky Moore probably has more value. Um, he's a younger player, and he also has you know more contract left as far as controllability as a you know a cheap player. Kadarius Tony obviously was a top twenty pick, and his draft stock will kind of always hang around his neck. You see that with a lot of players that first round pick label they'll get more chances than other players will. Um, but I, I'm, I'm having a hard time seeing it with Kadarius Toney. Um, part of it is, is we've seen Andy Reid do this with players who have much bigger names than Kadarius Tony. He benched LaShawn McCoy halfway through the season in 2019, basically told him he was done because of how he carried the football. He's done this with several players. The problem with Tony is they gave him a huge opportunity. He came in last year, and I remember thinking when he got hurt in the Bengals AFC Championship game, man, this stinks. Like this is one of our, you know, one of our best players. And he truly was. And he's come in with, you know, a Hall of Fame coach, a Hall of Fame quarterback, and a huge opportunity where they were running around describing him as wide receiver one in the offseason. And he's done nothing with it to seize that opportunity. And then we're going live on Instagram when apparently me and him had a kid a couple days apart. I think he had a kid that day. And he's giving this profanity-laced message about how he wants to, you know, he's not really hurt. He makes it really hard. The talent, you see it. I mean, there are times when he has the ball. We've all seen the play in the Super Bowl. He's incredible when he has the ball in his hands. But the problem is is that it's hard to get it there because he drops it. And he doesn't run real routes down the field. So, personally, I I think that the Chiefs have desperately missed a player who is a viable option on those jet sweeps. McCole Hardman is clearly not the player he used to be, and he's not as effective at them. Tyreek Hill's not here anymore. Kardarius Tony was a player that – that role, but he's just not found success with it. And then of course there's also, he can't stay healthy. If you're trading to Kadarius Tony, it's hard to see any team giving up a whole lot more than like a sixth or a seventh. And it might not even be for this year. It might be for later. Um, but he does have that fifth year option, which is valuable to teams to be able to, you know, if he does blow up, they can have the extra year of control. Um, I personally Kind of still consider the trade a success. I know a lot of people sit there and look at the pick and see a third round pick. That was pick 100. It was very, very late in the uh, third round. Um, the Giants turned that trade in that pick 100 into Darren Waller, who effectively did nothing for them as well. Um, the Chiefs had a lot of draft capital. These are kind of the swings you're allowed to take when you have a lot of draft capital. Um, anytime you get a chance to get a player on their second year, still on the rookie deal, it was a top 20 pick, I don't necessarily have a problem with it. I would consider it a success. And because it's just hard to take away those two plays that he made in the super bowl corn dog i mean me or you might have been able to make that play probably not but he was so open but that punt return there's very few players who ever could do that at this point though i wouldn't mess with the rotation i don't think you should suit up on um super bowl sunday
0: yeah man it's worth like the hell with the draft picks he helped us win the super bowl i don't care like that's it i'd have given a first round pick if i knew that that was going to be the outcome And when you're Brett Veach and you're hitting, as you mentioned, when you have a lot of draft picks, and also you hit on so many late round draft picks, you give yourself a little bit more of a margin of error to take those kinds of aggressive moves. It didn't work out, it looks like, in the long term. In the short term, it won a Super Bowl. And as Brian Windhorst of ESPN uh, was was fond of saying after the Cavs won their championship, winning a championship means you never have to say you're sorry. And uh, I don't think that Brett Veach has to apologize when – Kadarius it was it an ideal outcome? Probably not. Uh, but in the short term, he helped them win the Super Bowl. And that's Brett Veach's job is to win Super Bowl. So and, and they're back this year.
3: And a good way to look at it too, it's kind of like head coaches. If you fire a head coach and they get another job in like five minutes, it's probably a good sign you shouldn't have fired your head coach. Yeah. If Kadarius Tony goes to another team, you're likely not going to be that worried about Kadarius Tony on that roster. Like the 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 boomer bust factor there is very low, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, when you when you combine the the things that you mentioned about his route running in the hands and the the injuries you know he's he's not all the there's a lot of fast tat, like crazy athletic guys that you can get in the late rounds of the draft that don't run good routes and can't catch very well if you want them and and and, and they maybe don't have the injury history or the off-field stuff so it's going to make it hard for a guy like Kadarius tony um well listen you know heading into uh The Ravens game, not many people were giving the Chiefs a chance. How did did you feel about their chances heading into that game?
3: I I will have to be called to the carpet here and fess up that I did pick the Ravens in our weekly selections piece. Um, Honestly, I just thought that the Chiefs offense had benefited from playing two really banged up defenses, and this defense was just much different. Um, And I guess, honestly, my analysis of that wasn't wrong in the sense of they scored 17 points and they basically did nothing in the second half. But the factor that I I discounted and should not have is how good Steve Spagnuolo's game plan was against Lamar Jackson. Um, we've seen the Ravens put up points on the Chiefs in the past. Um, most of the matchups that they've had in the regular season, Lamar Jackson's been able to score a little bit. The Chiefs have usually been able to score a lot more. And it's been a higher scoring affair, but... Spagnola just had a masterclass, and I, I think that that truly was a big part of it. Now, let's not act like I know after the game's over, we like to look at back at the game and say like, oh, won with ease, you know, Lamar Jackson could still be on that field and not scoring. That, that that game is basically, you know, five or six inches away from, you know, being a very, very close game. Um, if Zayflower scores that touchdown, LaJarria Sneed made like one of the best defensive plays of the year. Um, but yeah, I, I was concerned. I, I just thought that. The Ravens were good enough on offense to be able to exploit some of the weaknesses of the Chiefs with the run game and good enough on defense that it was going to make the margin for error for the Chiefs very, very low. Um, So I I was truly impressed by Spagnuolo's game plan, and I thought the Chiefs did a great job of going at them early. Um, You know, the, the throw to Travis Kelsey with Kyle Hamilton in the corner, best on best, Patrick Mahomes putting that ball in the only place it can be caught on his hip. It was fantastic. And there was large periods of that game that the Chiefs looked like the more physical and the more composed team, and I, I thought that that showed from the minute with the Justin Tucker interaction throughout the game. The Chiefs it, it very much reminded me of the Super Bowl against the Buccaneers. You had Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski, a very experienced veteran team who knew how to pick the push the buttons of the Chiefs. Chris Jones and Tyron Matthew both got personal fouls in that game that really hurt them. Um, the Chiefs kind of push their buttons they knew what to do and to their credit they're the team that has that championship dna and they took advantage of it
0: yeah and i do think too in that game i mean credit the ravens defense are incredible i think the chiefs once they got that two score lead i they know who they've been on offense this year and and they know and they and they knew that defense was so good that they weren't going to chance it and so i i'm actually like when i think back about that second half you know it was frustrating the second they needed a play they get a 30-yard bomb to to Mark Wasvada, scantling of all people. Like, I think if the if Flowers had scored and LeGarious Sneed didn't make that play, I do think the Chiefs would have had a good chance of going down and scoring a touchdown immediately. They would have opened things back up. Um, we'll never know, but if that was the case, if I'm right, and they really went conservative and they really didn't, you know, wanted to stop pushing the ball downfield until it was a one-score game again. That's good news because that means the Chiefs basically did two drives, two and a half drives of some of their stuff and then got to just put it on the shelf for the rest of the game and still win. And now they've got however many things that they've been working on for the Ravens game ready for the Super Bowl. So that's good news for the Chiefs.
3: Yeah. And I mean, if you if you look at that game too, this was true, the Bills game as well and the Dolphins game a little bit. They're about two or three plays away from blowing that game open and they're about two or three plays away from blowing that game. I I thought they just did a really good managing the game the second half, having trust that defense and credit to Patrick Mahomes. Lamar Jackson, if you listen to the mic'd up version of the AFC Championship game, that NFL Films does when they go up 14 seven Lamar's saying on the sidelines, we're going to score on every drive. We got to score on every drive. Like, that's the mystique of Patrick Mahomes and Andy Mm. Reid. They felt like they had to go out and score 21 points in one drive. And, frankly, that wasn't true, and they probably could. Like, if Lamar goes out there and plays his game and the Ravens offense runs the ball, it's probably a much closer game or they have a better shot at winning it. But instead, they're trying to turn him into prime Dan Marino, dropping back (laughs) and throwing the ball over the place, and look what happened, you know? Like, it sucks because I think Lamar Jackson has grown a lot as a player, but going into this game, if you – could have had Lamar the passer be the predominant use of the Ravens offense, he would have been happy instead of Lamar the runner or the running game with the running back. So, I, again, Spagnolo lulled them into that, and he did a great job.
0: All right, what were you thinking when Patrick Mahomes threw that ball in, 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 on third down play at the end of the game, and it went up in the air? And I mean, I know what I was thinking, which was, holy shit, he's taking a deep shot. I can't believe he's taking a deep shot here because that had gone wrong for them all season long in similar situations. But then when the camera panned down and you saw number 11 perched under that ball, <laughs> walking backwards, what, were, what was going through your mind?
3: I honestly thought that this was a like a DPI attempt because like he was kind of stumbling down and I didn't quite see the number. So I was like, okay, here comes the call, like this is the Taylor Swift call, right? That like everyone's going to whine about for a week later. And I mean, I swear I've seen Tom Brady, other quarterbacks, Peyton Manning lead so many DPI call game winning DPI calls down the field. I, I honestly thought it was going to be DPI because of his fall and the way that the ball just kind of lollipopped in there. I I didn't know that he caught it for a second, and then I see him get up and he has the ball in his hand. I was like. The, the audacity, like the the yeah. testicular I, fortitude to be able yeah. to throw that ball in that moment. Yeah. Um, honestly, it reminded me way back when uh, last year, the, the Raiders came into Arrowhead and they had like a fourth and one and they threw a whole shot all the way down to Devontae Adams. He scored a touchdown. kind of reminded me of that. Like, it felt like, gosh, I wish the Chiefs would do that every once in a while where the team is think and run, think and run, stacking the box and they just go over top. And, you know, I, I just couldn't believe it. But like, MVS is becoming like playoff Frank Clark, where he's just like a different player in it. And I think now he has his confidence back, which is huge. Um, I, I think yeah. he's kind of got over some of that stuff that was inside his head.
0: Thank God for that. I, I hope the confidence is back, too. That was not an easy catch. And credit to him. Took a lot of shit all year, and it was deserved. But he's shown up for them in the playoffs. Listen, man, are the, I ask Jason this. Are the Chiefs of Dynasty right now, or do they need one more break?
3: Oh, it's really tough. It, it seems like the consensus around all of sports is that it takes three rings to do it. Um, here's what I will say: in my view, I think a dynasty is a team that you cannot go without talking about when describing a certain era of football or sports in general. Unfortunately for the Chiefs, the way that their kind of d- dynasty or you know run has gone so far, it's fallen over two decades. So you don't get to say like, oh, like the you know the '70s Steelers or the '90s Cowboys. They're kind of in that you know late teens to early twenties when their run really started, but it's impossible to talk about the NFL and this stretch of the NFL without talking about how dominant the Chiefs have been, especially whenever you consider they're about two plays away from going to five or six straight Super Bowls. Yeah. Now they're also probably two or three plays away from only going to one or two, but to me they are. If you could argue, you have a very good argument to say that they are a dynasty already, um, especially whenever you consider the fact that of how many different ways that they've done it. Like, you know, if this was still Travis, Kelsey, Terry kill, it it would be a little bit different, but they've done it with defense. They've done it with great drafting. Um, I'm going to lean towards, they are already there, but it would be nice for this third ring to come through and then just remove all doubt. I don't think that anybody, unless you're just the biggest hater can look at it once they have three rings and have gone to five that, that you can say like, Oh, they, you know, they're not a dynasty.
0: Yeah. It's, it's absolutely, they get a third ring. It's slam dunk dynasty. There's, there's no arguing it. I think you can make an argument if they don't, that it's not quite there, but you're right. It depends on how you define it. And they have certainly defined this era of NFL football win or lose. Um, Okay. Let's talk about the Super Bowl for a minute here. What's your take on this 49ers team? Is this a good matchup or a bad matchup for the chiefs?
3: Oddly enough, I know that the Lions probably are the lesser team as far as what we saw on the field and kind of just who they are as a team. But frankly, I think that the Niners might actually match up with the Chiefs a little bit better than the Lions would. Um, the Lions, despite what they did in that second half, are a team that is very committed to running the ball and have a very strong offensive line. Uh, Jameer Gibbs, running back from Alabama, is super dynamic. David Montgomery is a, as a hammer looking for a nail. Um, and then what they can do over the middle of the field with Amon Ross St. Brown, it felt like a matchup that would have been pretty challenging for the Chiefs defense. Obviously, week one was a very long time ago. We saw them hold them to basically 14 points in a Kadarius-Tony pick six. But I, I feel like, here's the thing, if you have the ability to pick Brock Purdy over Jared Goff, I'm probably going to lean towards Brock Purdy there. And also, Dan Campbell's a pretty smart coach. I know that he struggled there at the second half of that game, but he goes for the smart fourth downs. And in a Super Bowl, he's the type of guy that he might be ballsy enough to do a fake punt on his own 30-yard line, or he might be ballsy enough to go for fourth and nine and get it. And Kyle Shanahan, he is a phenomenal coach. You know, obviously, his coaching tree in the NFL is just growing every year, but He's he's getting to a little bit of pressure here. You know, he's been to two, one as a coordinator, one as a coach and kind of blown both. Um, he also his clock management isn't ideal all the time. If you watch the uh, Packers game against the Niners, they basically like squandered seven to three to zero points by their clock management strategy. They get across middle, the middle of the field. They don't use any timeouts. It looks like they have just decided they're going for three instead of pushing the ball for seven. Then the field goal gets blocked. So they end up getting zero points. Um, They also had kind of a precarious clock management situation in Super Bowl 54 where they, you know, they missed that shot to George Kittle. They get the OPI called on George Kittle. I think it was against Dan Sorensen and they don't end up scoring at all and they just kind of run the clock out. So Brock Purdy, Kyle Shanahan, obviously they've done some really great stuff. I also think the Niners defense. I'm not sure. Them and the Lions are pretty comparable. Shavarius Wards played really good this year, former chief, but there's not a lot in that secondary. Hafunga, they're really good safety. Um, He's been out most of the year. Obviously, the linebackers are the big thing for, for San Francisco. Dre Greenlaw, Fred Warner, they're the best linebacking duo in the NFL. Obviously, the Chiefs have great linebackers as well, but those are the type of players that you worry about when it comes to Kelsey and Rasheed Rice and then Pacheco but they got to stay clean. Um, if the offensive line is dominating like they've been doing most of this postseason, I like their chances.
0: It is going to be uh, quite the matchup, I think. Um, just real quick on Purdy. Are you, a, are you a Purdy believer or a Purdy hater? Do you I like have you not. You can I, only be one or the other these days.
3: I've not been Purdy-pilled. i not a big yeah. cock Brock guy myself. Um, <laughs> here's the thing. I, I think he is almost the perfect product of what the Kyle Shanahan – system is right Kyle Shanahan he's almost like playing video games with you like he's the offense is so set up and the reads are so clear that if he could sit there with a controller on the sideline and just push a for you and you just throw it to the open wide open receiver across the middle of the field that would be the perfect Kyle Shanahan quarterback like you know we I, I some of my friends always say you know if Andy Reid retires imagine if we got a Shanahan guy in here for Patrick Mahomes I'm not sure that can exist because of how off script Mahomes plays compared to how on-skid Kyle Shanahan likes his quarterbacks. Uh, Brock Purdy is mobile, more mobile than most of the guys that Kyle has had. Matt Ryan, Jimmy Garoppolo. And I think you saw that show up in that NFC Championship game. He made some big plays with his legs. He's not Lamar Jackson. He's not Josh Allen. But he's more mobile than those guys. And it's kind of the classic like running uh, low-confidence running back things. Sometimes the best running back on your team is the guy who's a UDFA because he runs like there's no tomorrow, right? He's the last pick in the NFL draft. So he is when Kyle Shanahan looks at him and says, Hey, you throw this here at this time, he's going to do it. Um, he's showed some moxie. He's had, you know, he's had those moments. Uh, I would say he's probably the worst. I'm not sure him or Jimmy 2019, Jimmy Garoppolo. He's probably the worst quarterback they faced in the Super Bowl. Um, it's close. Again, I would really like Spagnolo and everything that he's done against a guy who's seen him for the very first time in the biggest stage. So I, I I will lean towards not pretty pilled.
0: Yeah, that's the thing for me too, is is Spagnolo versus a guy who it just is in his first Super Bowl. I mean, look, this kid's pretty unflappable. He plays pretty well, but I I think you have a major advantage. They've got incredible weapons that he can lean on and a and a really good offensive system, but we'll see, man. Um, all right. And speaking of weapons, Christian McCaffrey. I mean, I've seen people in the Arrowhead addict, multiverse, whatever you want to say, say like, not worried about Christian McCaffrey. We can deal with him. Um, I'm personally terrified of that guy, what he can do out of the backfield, what he can do running the football. Can can the Chiefs contain him after the way they've played the run this year and even in the playoffs against Buffalo and a guy like Cook?
3: I think they can, but it's at what cost? I think – If you're playing out this game script against the 49ers, the last thing that the Chiefs defense wants or our Chiefs fan wants is for this game to come down to the Chiefs' ability to stop Christian McCaffrey on the ground or in the air. Um, The Bills, honestly, are probably the way that that game played out against the Bills, honestly, might be a good kind of comparison to how this game can play out. The Chiefs basically had to really step up the run defense in the second part of that game. They almost turned Josh Allen into like early-stage Alex Smith Hmm. dinking and dunking down the field and he threw a few of you know a a few deep shots and none of them were caught if one of those gets caught we might be having a very different conversation right now but Christian McCaffrey I think the thing that scares me the most about him is him out of the backfield because he is so dynamic with the ball as a pass catcher Um, that's a place that Nick Bolton struggles at times Uh, that's a place that they've missed Willie Gay Drew Tranquil is obviously better in there. And then Leo Chanel, if they can get them in heavy personnel where Leo Chanel is on the field, that's a place that he doesn't excel as well. Uh, so this could be a big Drew Tranquil, Willie Gay game. Um, it sounds like Gay's, Willie Gay's neck is healing and, you know, he should be good to go. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you don't want to be in a situation where Kyle Shanahan's run game is the difference between you winning or losing a game because Kyle Shanahan is going to have a few plays in this game where you go back and watch, and you're like, wow, he just he just got them. Like you know, That's wide open. And they can do a lot of things with the run game. They, they run that outside zone, and they can use Debo Samuel in there as well, too. He's great with the ball in his hands. If you go back and watch that Super Bowl 54, obviously that was Debo's rookie year. But, I mean, man, he's electric as a, as a runner of the ball as well. So he's a dude for sure. And the only thing that I will say is McCaffrey doesn't have breakaway speed. His vision is great. But the Chiefs have been so good about pursuing runners down the field. When Lamar Jackson burst through on that fourth and one, I, I didn't think that anyone was going to catch him. I thought he was gone. But Snead stuck with it and was able to get him to the ground. So I really the only way that I think that this you know Christian McCaffrey comes out and just owns the Chiefs is if the Chiefs are just so brutal against the run that they're able to just break off four and five and six yards, kind of like that playoff game was against Le'Veon Bell with the Steelers several years ago, where they just can't stop them at all.
0: I mean, they've got weapons all over the place. Ayuk, Kittle, Debo, McCaffrey. I mean, they have loaded this team up. Uh, If the Chiefs defense, I think it's gonna be a big challenge for the Chiefs defense, but I do think they're up to it. Okay, so we know the Chiefs are gonna be picking either thirty first or thirty second in the NFL draft. What position group do you think the Chiefs will target? This maybe is obvious. I don't know. Um, And uh, and who do you think might be available at that spot?
3: So I typically do a mock draft every day or every other day um, just for the Chiefs, just to get a good idea of who all is there, who all is available. Obviously, these things change over the cycle of the draft. Um, I usually can tell what most Chiefs fans want by the comments I get back on Twitter. uh, Usually I get like things thrown at me if it's not a wide receiver. Yeah. Unfortunately, though, I I think that they probably go back to the trenches again. And I think the Charles Amenehu injury probably plays a big part in that as well. Uh, he, it is not a certain thing that he is going to be back for the beginning of the regular season next year because of how late in the season he tore his ACL. Um, I think, you know, Aminahue, he's played more predominantly on the edge here in Kansas City. But coming from the 49ers and the Texans, he was actually more effective on the inside. Um, That's where he'd been lined up a lot. So I think that there was a pathway there that maybe, you know, if Chris Jones walks in for agency, that I many, was going to be the guy who wins on the inside and then kind of have some of those other guys that they have on the roster, like Neil Farrell and every guys like that to help just plug the run. Yeah. Um, there's not a ton of super dynamic edge players here. There, there's some guys who have really tore it up at the senior bowl this week, like Darius Robinson out of Mizzou. Some chiefs fans will know him. Um, Jared verse out of Florida state. There's, there, there's some guys, I w- the the spot that I feel like is most likely will probably be tackle. Um, I think that, you know, Donovan Smith has been good for them, but that's not a long-term answer. He's going to get injured. He That's just kind of part of who he is now. And I think that they've liked what they've gotten from Wanya Morris, but I don't think you want to plan on him playing left tackle permanently for it. Um, there are some really, really good tackles in this class. This tackle is very rich in tackle depth. Um, Amarius Mims out of Georgia is a guy. Uh, Kingsley Sumamataya out of BYU, he's another guy. The Chiefs, when they draft these tackles especially, they care about metrics and numbers. For instance, Jordan Morgan out of Arizona, he was a guy that a lot of people thought could be a potential late first-round tackle, and he's got really great tape. He's recovered from an ACL well this year and played great, but he's got sub-33-inch arms. That's just not a well that the Chiefs go to when it comes to tackles. So it's going to be really interesting. I think, uh, like I said, tackle, I know everyone wants wide receiver, but the wide receiver class, it's going to be very picked over. There's probably four or five guys that are going to go in the first 15 to 20 picks. Obviously we know Marvin Harrison, Jr., Roma Dunze, Malik Neighbors, Brian Thomas out of LSU will probably go as well, but I think there, there'll be guys in there in the second round. And, and you know, we've just kind of talked about the, the difference between Rasheed Rice and Skymore. I think that there'll be some guys that the Chiefs can get in the second round that will be impact playmakers for them.
0: Well, you mentioned that you think wide receiver will be picked over. What are the deep, positions in this draft class that the chiefs might be able to snag throughout the draft i think obviously and and this is
3: a big deal you know you mentioned our arrowhead attic big board um that's something that i need to revamp now that we've got all of our commits and senior bowl that's one of my projects i'm going to have here on paternity leave but quarterback is one of them And, and that's a big deal for the chiefs right every time a quarterback is taken in the first round before the chiefs pick that's an instant win because that's a position that they don't need to worry about um obviously at the top you've got caleb Drake, or, you know, Caleb Williams, Drake May and Jaden Daniels. And I I still wonder if a fourth guy doesn't go. That might be JJ McCarthy, Bonix, um it, it just kind of depends on what teams want. I don't think Michael Penix is going to be there, but there could be a fourth one taken. Um then I would say probably the next deepest place is wide receiver. The wide receiver class, you can go fifteen down to 15 guys easily that could truly be impact starters at the NFL level. And that just isn't the case. Last year, Jackson Smith and Jigbo would would probably be, like, wide receiver 9 or 10 in this class wow. as far as skill set. Um, there's just a lot of really f- big physical guys. There's guys with speed. It's really kind of take your pick. So that's part of the reason why I feel like – and seeing the impact that players like Puka Nakua had this year, or Rasheed Rice, or Tank Dell. All those players were taken outside of the first round. So I do think that the wide receiver is probably the best depth. Then tackle. Um, Tackle's really strong as well. I think the corner depth is getting better. Quinion Mitchell out of Toledo has had an awesome senior bowl. Um, There's a lot of corners that have risen up draft boards here lately that I think could be impact players. Uh, Some of the spots that are weak, I already mentioned an edge. There's not a ton of great edge players safety. um, Tyler Newbin out of Minnesota is probably my top safety right now. Cameron kitchens out of Miami, but there's, there's not a ton of guys that really move the needle in those areas. Good news is those are mostly, mostly areas that the chiefs don't need. Also running back is really weak in this class. I know that there's really strong drafting running back opinions, but I'd be surprised if we see a running back drafted on day two, the way things are going right now. So, um, there, there's there's lots of value, though, in some really high priority positions. So it's a great draft if the Chiefs, you know, do end up having some additional picks from a trade, whether that be uh, Chris Jones or another player. So it, it's a very solid draft, though. Very top heavy. You
0: know, we'll, we'll look forward to that in just a little bit. But we had a big game coming up before then. What's your early uh, take on this Super Bowl? What's your early final score prediction?
3: <sighs> the first one, right? You got to like really think about your Super Bowl prediction because you get asked a lot. Um I think I'll go like Chiefs 28, 49ers 20. I just think that this is a game that the Chiefs experience in this game. Uh, I've got a piece that's going to be coming out on the site later this week. The staggering difference of play of Super Bowl starts and Super Bowl championships between the two rosters, the, the Chiefs have 48 Super Bowl rings on their roster compared to four for the San Francisco 49ers. The San Francisco 49ers have 16 Super Bowl starts, and almost all those came from the game that they played in 2019. And then several of those come from Logan Ryan, who's like a rotational defensive back who did most of those with the Patriots, the chiefs. I feel the pressure is just not on them in the way that it is with the 49ers. And these things matter. You saw the Ravens come out in the AFC championship game and go three and out right away. And the chiefs looked like the mo composed team almost the whole time. So I, I think that that combined with the chiefs ability to really control the 49ers offense with a great defense it scares me a little bit because Super Bowls are just weird. They have a bye week. A lot of times they're indoors. Like I don't think anyone saw that huge shootout coming out in the previous Super Bowl, but it was. I I personally think that the Chiefs defense is better than that now and will be able to handle that sort of thing. But I, I think that the Chiefs offense does just enough. I I the, I think Pacheco could have a huge game. Um, I don't know if you've seen some of the clips, but Chase Young in the right in the uh, run game looked like Prime D Ford as far as his effort and ability to track the ball. Um, the pass rush there, obviously, it's centered around Nick Bosa. They've got Javon Hargrave, who is a better run stuffer, but there's there's a lot of pass here that I can see a Chiefs victory. Um, frankly, I think that this might be a, l- a more relaxing Super Bowl than we've had in the past.
0: I've seen a couple people say that, and uh, and that would be fantastic. I'll sign up for that in a heartbeat. Especially since I'm going to be covering the game, and I'm not going to be able to cheer or show any like real emotion. So it would be nice if they're just kind of kind of cakewalking this thing, so that I don't have to try to you know control myself around the other media members. Um, all right, we're going to get to uh, Patty's power rankings in just one second before we get out of here. But if you're watching this for the first time, it's the Arrowhead Addict Podcast. Do us a favor. Make sure you're subscribed to our YouTube channel. You guys have been subscribing to our YouTube channel like crazy, so I know there's a lot of new folks out there. You're amazing. Check out the link in the description. We're, we're not just a podcast. We're a website. It's arrowheadatic.com where, where price works. where you can get a bunch of, of really great takes and information and news and analysis on the Chiefs. And then, of course, uh, we've got memberships. So if you want to support the show, if you want more Chiefs content so we can bring guests like this on and do things like go to the Super Bowl for you and cover it. Check it out. It's a great way to support the show, but also become part of our Chiefs fan community. A lot of our regulars are here supporting us in the chat every single week. We have a private Discord. We have happy hours, um, Fanny's football leagues, sometimes in-person events. So make sure you check it out if you want to support the show. Okay, Patty's Power Rankings. Uh, This one is a fun one. I don't know why it never occurred to me before, but now that we're back in the Super Bowl, I think it's even more apt. And I think it's a really challenging uh, Power Rankings. Let us know in the chat your rankings um but price i asked you to rank for me and start from four and go to one uh the mahomes led chiefs super bowl team so there have been four 2019 uh 2020 2022 and 2023 how do you rank these teams
3: well i think four is probably a lock right it's definitely the team that faced tampa bay 2020 It was more than just the offensive line. Obviously, Mitch Schwartz, Eric Fisher getting hurt were the nail in the coffin. But that team was leaking oil on defense. Uh, They kind of had been all year. They were getting older. Uh, You saw, especially like Anthony Hitchens and some of those guys, they struggled uh, throughout the year. And honestly, that offense just became so reliant on Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. They were a dominant regular season team. And I honestly think a lot of that was in part due to the pandemic. That was the year that they ran it back and brought a lot of those guys back. So there was a lot of continuity. But the the Bucks basically dared the Chiefs to let McCole Hardman and Sammy Watkins take over that game, and, and they won a no part of it. So that's definitely the worst. Um, this gets tough here. I, I think, is it blasphemous to say that it's this year for number three? Um, I think, you know, that the Chiefs have a certain formula right now. And if something happens in the Super Bowl, let's say, you know, they get on offense, bad snap goes over Pat's head, goes to the back of the end zone, they're down 7 0, they go three and out again, and they're down 14 0. I I feel that's a really hard Chiefs win because then they're chasing points the whole time, and that's just not a place that they've been very often. Um, certainly not wishing for that to happen. The defense is obviously the best Pat has ever had, and it's fantastic, but they still have limited ways to win. Um this so that's gonna be that's gonna be my third team. My second team, I'm going to put as the 2019 champions. And I I went back and forth with that. And the reason is, is you've got, you know, you've got a much version, much younger version of Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey, Chris Jones. um, Obviously, great tackle play on that team with Mitch Schwartz and Eric Fisher. But that defense, it was not nearly as good as some of the other teams have been. And also you look at what the construction of that roster was. A lot of those kind of were free agents. That defense was basically built through free agency besides Chris Jones. Um, And then I'm going to put last year's team at first. And most of that is due to the continuance of the following year, right? I understand Juju's not here anymore. There's some other players that aren't on the team that walked in free agency. But a lot of that team laid the foundation for this team next year, Um, especially whenever you consider what they were being able to do especially for a young defense in their first year. Um, I know, I think it's Benjamin Solak at the ringer has said that he was in the locker room for the Chiefs after they won the Super Bowl last year and a defensive back, he didn't name who, but one of the defensive backs looked at the other and said, can you believe we just won the Super Bowl and we don't even know this defense? Can you imagine how good we're going to be when we actually know what we're doing? And I think we've seen the results of that this year, right? So uh, I'm going to put that team, especially because the 2022 Super Bowl team, they were a team that were able to mold who they were around what defenses were doing to them. Um, they were able to be more multiple, do things in a different way, time and time again. And it was more than just like, Oh, Hey, look, you know, we're just throwing bombs to Tyree kill and we've got, you know, this dominant offense. So that, that's probably the way I'd put it.
0: Very interesting. My, my list is different. I totally see and understand your your reasoning for each of them. Lucas in the chat says 2020, 2023, 2022. 2019. Mine's a little different. I actually have, this may surprise some people. But I have 2019 is my number four team. Um, I thought they were incredible, but that defense was, was not very good. Um, and uh, they were a little bit green. They had had the 2018 run, didn't get quite get to the super bowl. Um, but they were still uh, a little bit green. And so I've got them as four for me mainly because of, of the defense and then Three for me is the 2020 team. I think the 2020 team was really good. I know you mentioned some of the problems that they continued to have on defense, but they just steamrolled people through the regular season. The reason I have them ahead of the 2019 team, even though it ended in a disaster, is I think if those guys were healthy, I I agree with Jason Reed who was on earlier in the show. I do think the Chiefs would have been able to beat the Bucks, and I I think that they were more dangerous than the 2019 team uh, because. Of the experience that they had, they were like, they they were that, that, to me, the 2020 team for most of the season was the 2019 team's final form. And it just fell apart at the end and a bad matchup and just two crucial injuries that really hamstrung them. Um, but I, I thought that was a really excellent team. 2022, uh, last year's team is my number two team. Um, Excellent team, as you mentioned, easily could have been number one. But the reason I've gotten, obviously, spoiler alert, I have this year's team as my number one team, which seems crazy after the year that they've had. But I'm now judging them on where where they have evolved to. And I think that they're the 2022 – this year's team is is last year's team, um, but better now. But it took a step back because of the loss of Juju, the wide receiver shuffling – and the need for Rashi Rice to develop. And so they were really good in 2022. And then they were basically the same team this year, but for most of the season took a step back. But right now, they are a much better defense than they had in 22, absolutely dominant. And they're reaching their final form with Rashi Rice. I think he's now better than Juju Smith Schuster was last year for them. And I think Pacheco's better. So it's like for me, when I look at those two teams, I think the defense is way better because all those, all those young kids grew up. They added Tranquil and some other pieces. You've got a, a, a slightly better Pacheco. Now you've got Rashi Rice. Kelsey, maybe a slight step back from last year, but, but has shown he can still be dominant. Um, so we'll see if they prove me right. I think if they handle the 49ers, we'll look back at this team maybe a little bit differently than we do right now. Uh, but that's how I've got it. Let's see if the people in the chat think I'm, I'm crazy. I'm not seeing any – I'm not getting any shade yet, but there's a slight delay. Um, yeah, I like this 2020. I, I said it all year that I thought it, w- it could end up being the most talented team that Mahomes has, has had, and uh, or at least most complete, I guess.
3: And I, I think one thing to your point is, and we'll get into roster construction about the team next year, and it's a lot easier to build a dynamic offense around two or three players, right? The 49ers are kind of that offense. They have a free quarterback as far as the salary cap goes, yeah. and they've got two good wide receivers, a great tight end, and a great running back. That's basically it, and a good left tackle. The rest of their offensive line is not very good, and the rest of their death pieces are not that great. Building a great defense, it is tough. The, it, it, there are multiple pieces because you will see, they call it like the Shanna scope, right? Like Shanahan he is able to find your worst player in the secondary and just spam that player. It is a weak a weak link system. So for that reason, this defense being what it is and being so multiple that they were able to lose, you know, Nick Bolton for a period of time. They've lost Brian Cook for most of the year. They they lost Charles Aminihew. They've been able to, and they've lost him kind of twice, right? The ACL and the suspension at the beginning of the year. And they've still been able to be this dominant. I think that just speaks lots to Brett Veach, especially how well he's built this roster. Mike Edwards, Drew Tranquil, those were guys that a lot of people didn't really think about signing they got you know basically one year nothing deals and they've come in here and made an impact so yeah I think to your point in some ways this is the most refined roster and this is also the best version of Patrick Mahomes we've seen there are years if you remember the way that the AFC championship game ended against the Bengals when he threw in a double coverage to Tyree Kill after the game he said I threw it I threw it to Tyree Kill I thought he'd go up and make a play he didn't and I'd throw it again well, that's, that's not really the right answer as far as yeah. the results go. And, and I don't think Patrick Holmes does that anymore. He, he realizes that sometimes making not making a play is just as important as making a play.
0: And I think he even had to take part of this year to learn that sometimes punting is the right play because he doesn't have to score every time he has the ball. And definitely at times in the past, you did feel like, man, like, you know, if he doesn't score every time they have the ball, they're in trouble Now he knows that the defense can pick them up and lift them up. And he probably learned throughout the course of the season that a lot of their problems stemmed from not necessarily the fact that their offense was stagnant at times, but that their offense was doing damage to the team. They were in negative plays that were making it harder for the team to win as opposed to easier. And that's what we've seen from him in the playoffs is I'm taking care of the football. And that's, again, I think the second half of that Ravens game, he was like, I am not turning this ball over, man. Like, I am not taking sacks if I don't have to. I am not turning this ball over. We are running back two scores. Our defense is fantastic. We do not need a play where I try to force something and somebody tips the ball up to one of these defensive backs. It's just not going to happen. And if I need a play, I'm going to get a play. And if you saw the, the mic'd up version of that, he was saying right before that third down, give me the ball. Give me the ball. Let me Let me throw it. Let's not hand it off and punt it back. And he made the play um price this has been awesome and thank you so much for coming on like i said it's been a long time coming um you need to head over everybody to arrowheadaddict.com. you can read price's work he's got a he's got a post up there right now i think in the featured area uh from today um check out the big board which i threw in the chat and uh and read arrowheadaddict.com every day for all the great writers over there who and get you ready for the super bowl a uh, special thank you to Jason Reed from ESPN and Anscape. He's going to stop by Radio Row next week and join us as well. To producer Richard for keeping us rocking and rolling. And, of course, to all of our members for your your just constant support of the show. We have grown like crazy in the last month, quickly approaching 50,000 subscribers on YouTube. It's very humbling. So we thank you all. Uh, this is it, everybody. We will see you. The next time we see you, we'll be in Las Vegas. Um, so thank you again for all your support. See you in Vegas, but until then, as always, go Chiefs.
2: At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place.